Drive-by Cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome. It's episode 21 of season 3 of Drive-by Cinema. With my co-host Paul. Hello Rich, this is my co-host Richard. The podcast where we watch the movies so you don't have to. You certainly don't have to. Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, nothing was moving. Not even a mouse. Not even a mouse. Or a moose. I mean, you, you probably hear a moose. Was that the whole joke about that song, There's a Moose Loose About This Hoose? Was it because Scottish people say moose and mouse the same way? It must be the joke, that whole advert. Sorry, Richard, continue. We should acknowledge at this point. First of all... For us, it's Christmas Eve. Obviously, for anyone listening, it can't possibly be Christmas it's... Eve unless you've taken, unless you've waited a year and you've taken very special care to listen to it Christmas Eve 20. You'll be hearing this in mid-mass. What's the word for between New Year and Christmas? Is there a word for it? Well, only those people who listen religiously when we launch you know, each episode. Many people might do it in arrears, as it were. That's the beauty of podcasts. Modern content consumption, Paul, is on demand. No one wants to have to wait for things. They binge, don't they? Mm -hmm. When you're watching a TV series, do you want to wait week by week for for each episode? No, you don't. You don't. You're right. As a modern consumer, Paul, you have the right to demand to consume the way you prefer. (laughs) Okay. So, Richard, you were saying not even a mouse. Were you about to say something about Christmas? Um, well, only that for us it's Christmas. And um, I've watched Die Hard, so my Christmas is done and over. And our Christmas present to our, our listeners is to change the podcast logo. But that hasn't disturbed your Christmas. Has it already happened? I've changed it already, Paul. Go oh, have wow. a look. Oh, oh, my gosh, that's so amazing. I noticed you'd uploaded it to our share drive, and I thought, wow, gosh, things, big things are happening here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sort of uh, creatively led by our accounts, uh, our account owner Richard here in the advertising section of the company, uh, with his brilliant introduction to f- to me of the uh, AI art bot. Imagine, or is it not called that? That's just what no. You're it's called Mid Journey. Mid Journey. But if you want to use it on Discord, you have to tell it to Slash imagine. imagine. Yeah. Okay. But it, Paul, it was your prompt that gave us the stunning. Logo that it produced. Well, I, you, your previous prompt was great, apart from that you seem to produce a car that looked a bit like a Meccano set. That's not your problem. That's AI, AI's problem. So. Well, when I did it, I fed it our original logo. So it was riffing off our original logo. Wow, so you, when can, you, you can... Yeah. Could, could you also give it verbal input at the same time? Yes, you can do both, yeah. Does it count as two, two goals or one goal, that? I think it counts as one go. Whoa. Uh, but your suggestion was a car bursting out of a cinema screen in a dystopian future setting, I think. something Yeah, like that, a dystopian holocaustal future, yeah. Yeah, uh, well, very evocative. I, if I have a criticism, I'd say it may be a, a bit dark and over-detailed for a logo. <laughs> well, we had the yeah, old well, logo. This is it. it. It is a whole new SEO approach, isn't it? How do you, you know, what's... What instructions do you put into these in, into these uh, intelligent machines? C- you know, compared to you know, how do you search on Google? There's a whole SEO culture here that has to be developed around AI, doesn't there? And who takes credit? Can you take credit for giving it the prompts? Absolutely do we have to credit not. Midjourney? 
But we can take we can take uh, credit for the optimization that resulted from the initial from the initial image, the tweaking. I've already had some feedback from one of our regular listeners and sometime guest contributor Jolian, who said that he didn't like it. He preferred the L logo. Oh, okay. <laughs> so there we are. Oh, let's but just pack hey, up and go home, everybody, then. We don't have to have it forever. We can change it again. Well, we generated about 18 of them, so we can just <laughs> we can just switch them uh, willy-nilly to annoy Jolene even further. <laughs> yeah. So, well, whatever time of year it is, I hope you enjoy our present of a new logo, and welcome to the podcast. Last week, Paul, yeah. we were talking about... Well, you were saying I had terrible taste in Citroen cars, right? Okay. Uh, and you said, which one was it that you liked? And it was a Citroen SM in particular, the Maserati Citroen uh, uh, joint venture that I particularly liked, which I think Jolin, what erstwhile contributor, also enjoys too, as well as the SM. Uh, sorry, the uh, the DS and BS and uh, the other ones like that. Okay. Uh, but you then said, well, didn't you really like a, re- didn't you like a really ugly one with your headlamps underneath? the bonnet sort of thing. I think you might be thinking about the Renault 4, which I do really, really appreciate as 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 uh, an exercise in, uh, in perfunctory uh, ergonomics. But I think you might be Fugly talking... cars. No. Uh, no, just sold... Well, I, I can see why you say that you think they're ugly. It could have been the Citroën Diane, which was like, you know, a, a badge-engineered version of the 2CV. Uh, you know, was kind named of, after the princess, with late sixties kind of moulded styling rather than the jaunty uh, personality of the two CV itself. Uh, but I think you're thinking about the two CV utility vehicle, desert a beach buggy, that was sort of made from the two CV on the two CV platform. I'm fairly sure that's what you mean. Thanks for clearing that up. By the way. I think the day after we recorded last time, Terry Hall died. He did, yeah, and we were talking about him, I think. I was obsessed with Fun by Twee's version of Our Lips Are Sealed. Oh. That's right. And he also cropped up in last week's podcast, because after all, one of the songs on the soundtrack there, A Message to You, Rudy, was covered by the specials subsequently, wasn't it? So, yeah, he's been all over this podcast, so... It's a shame that he died, especially since he was only 63, which doesn't give us long, does it? All right, okay. <laughs> and the bloke who did uh, Faithless, who was in Faithless, has just died today as well. Oh, Maxi Jazz. Karma yeah. Korma. Is it Karma Coma or Karma Korma? Karma Coma. Oh, Karma Coma. That makes more sense than Karma Korma, doesn't it? Really? Well, that's probably... <laughs> but if you had a Karma Coma, you might pop out for a Karma Korma. <laughs> Famous misheard uh- lyrics. There we go. But he was quite old. He was like 67. Yeah, I know. It's it's terrifying, isn't it? Hopefully they lived a lot harder and faster than we did. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Or me, anyway. Maybe not you. I mean, what's the point? You know, if I'm going to go at 67, I might as well live faster and harder, eh? Yeah. Hey, now, listen. We have some corrections because... Well, sorry, I interrupted you with talk about Renault cars, but... No, that, I mean that's a that's a you know a, a furtherance of last week's, isn't it? It's perfectly valid. No, but you were about but to you say did, something. You did say last week. Oh god! We were talking about Colin the caterpillar, who I nearly tripped over today. I asked you. Months. I asked you to go research this, Richard. Yeah, I did go and research it. Oh yeah, you claimed that 
Aldi had been defeated in an intellectual property case about their Cuthbert the Caterpillar cake. Cuthbert the Caterpillar, thank you. And I was wrong, I presume. Just to explain, by the way, what the hell we're talking about for people who don't have Marks and Spencers in their nation states. (laughs) Marks and Spencer is a shop, uh, like a supermarket that sells clothes, but also food, and has pretensions to be doing better than normal supermarket food. Yes, it's it's very packaged towards middle-class women, isn't it? It is. And they have a number of food items that are sort of unique to Marks and Spencer, I suppose. One of them is those Percy Pig. Yeah, I never got that at all, to be honest with you. What, why they're called Percy Pig? No, the, the appeal of very basic, soft, gummy gelatin sweets. Oh, you, you prefer a hard-boiled, something you can suck on. Well, no, if I was going to have a gelatin sweet like that, you know, you might want to have a centre, you know, you know, some sort of juice burst in the middle. Or... <laughs> right. <laughs> Particularly paying Marks and Spencer prices, but I've noticed actually that it's like the cheap end of Marks and Sparks. What is Colin the Caterpillar cake? Okay, so again, you know, this kind of is kind of the overindulgence to all Marks and Sparks, Marks and Sparks's creations. Sorry, Marks and Sparks, I mean Marks and Spencer. And Colin the Caterpillar is an example of this. It would be a simple and calorific Swiss roll, but instead they've kind of covered it in just acres and tonnage of, of sloppy chocolate kind of goo, haven't they? Is that is that what you call ganache? Ganache, thank you. Just just overly sweet, I imagine, and cloying kind of soft liquid chocolate. Just, oh, oh. But, oh. right, if that's chocolate all it cream. was, oh. I think you would agree. Oh. If, if oh, that's all Colin the Caterpillar cake was, I think you'd agree they'd have no hope of... No, but then they... they Annabel Anna, Moore thighs it. I, I don't know what the equivalent is anthropomorphize of animal thighs is, but they make it look like an animal by sticking Smarties on it. Face, you well, know. No, what they do, there's a moulded chocolate caterpillar face. Well, I mean, it's not a caterpillar face, is it? It's like a smiley face. Oh, I feel sick. Because caterpillars don't have like lips and a nose and eyes, do they? In no. the same way that we They've do. They've got mandibles. And it would be horrific. If it was realistic. <laughs> realistic, <laughs> realistic mandibles. Well, they're terrifying, magnified. You know, they're, I mean, they're, they're serrate, serrating sharp, aren't they? The mandibles of, of an insect. So it's a cartoon face put on the front. And I think they're also chocolate feet. Oh, God. Which, again, is not... I, I mean, they're not like caterpillar feet, I don't think. But there's things down the side of them to resemble some kind of feet. And then they call this whole confection... Colin the Caterpillar. Colin the Caterpillar, yeah. And it's been, it's been a big seller for the last 10 years or so, whatever, you know. Yeah. It's your standard, like, birthday cake. Along with it? Percy Novelty Pig, you know, sweets. Yeah. Why? I don't know. Neither of them are classy, now, and I don't know. Now, what is true about what you said is that Aldi produced a kind of knockoff simulation called Cuthbert the Caterpillar. Cuthbert the Caterpillar. They weren't alone. I mean, other supermarkets had them too. They did. And it is true that Marks and Spencer did sue. Whether or not we they had real standing to do so, and whether or not they would have prevailed in the case, we don't know, Paul, because Aldi settled out of court. But what was the suing for? Oh, there were three grounds, and they were all based on trademarks. Ah. And the idea was Marks and Spencer had trademarked certain elements of this 
which I think included trademark for the phrase Colin the Caterpillar, and trademarks cover the packaging and even his own basic shape. Now, I leave it to you to wonder whether in court they would have won on any of those points. <laughs> because mm. I don't I don't think you could really stand up much of that. And maybe the packaging, but I mean I let's don't know. Think about you... the, let's think about those jokey songs that imitate Thriller by Michael Jackson. What was it? But eat it. Just eat it. Ah, um, but that satire or whatever, comedy gets has got special Got free pass, hasn't it? Yeah. It does. Uh but even so, I think it would be difficult to yeah, it would because it's a different song. It's a different Words song. Are changed. Yeah, it, I mean, it could be classed as a derivative work, but we're not talking about copyright here. Copyright is different. Trademarking. Well, I mean, that's, that's in terms of intellectual property, isn't it? Intellectual property. The, the well, there's three of types of, of intellectual art. property. There are three types of intellectual property law. One is copyright. Mm-hmm. One is trademark, mm-hmm. and the final one is patents. Now, patents cover. What's the word? Uh, uh, new and unique inventions, ideas. I guess. Inventions. Well, it, it can be a thing. I think it can also be or a de- process. Yes. Or it could be a development or a new, a kind of new twist on an existing process. Yeah, correct. It has to be. What's the word? Significant. Uh, an original. And, and yeah, it has to be non-obvious. I think. So, for example, putting putting concrete blocks in washing machines is something shaking around. Did somebody patent that? I guess they did, actually, because obviously it wasn't obvious because people hadn't done it for 20 years. But patents have a limited lifespan. They only last, what, seven years or something? Really? It's changed. It might be longer, 20. I don't know. However long it is, it's completely inappropriate for modern innovations and speed of technology these days, isn't it? But nonetheless, patents are strictly limited, and then they become, you know, sort of fair game for everyone. Copyrights are all to do a started life with the printing press and all to do with the printed material. You can't just copy someone's book. Uh, And you can't make derivative works, so you couldn't make a sort of Harry Potter 5 or 8 or whatever it is. So therefore, I think in terms of the basic shape, they'd have to go under that thing, copyright, i.e. this is our product, it's distinctive. No, you can't copyright... A shape. Basic shapes. So they did what... The only thing they could do, which is trademark. Now, what is trademark for as a law? Trademark is all about not... Passing off. So, in other words... The name, essentially, yeah. Making people think that they're buying a Marks & Spencer's product when, when it's an inferior product. By means of brand identity. So, I think... Are you saying that would be their strongest case if they had one? Their only case. Their only case. But it's still a weak one. And it's the reason it's weak is, first of all, the only way to get a cuthbert the Caterpillar is, it, is to walk into <laughs> an Aldi. <laughs> the thing is, everybody knows what Aldi is all about. Aldi's business... Is making cheap food, comestibles, cheap, cheaper than the others. Mm. So when you go into an Aldi, you fully expect. But because of the volume, that's actually quite good quality. Absolutely. No comment on the quality of Aldi. But everybody knows when they walk into an Aldi that they're going to expect products similar to what you can buy in other supermarkets. But with amusing names. For less money, better yeah. value. And with amusing names. And with amusing names, yeah. They're similar, but not quite. But no one is under the impression, no one is under the impression when they go into an Aldi and they pick up a cuff at the Caterpillar that are actually getting a Marks and Spencer's calling the Caterpillar. True. I put it to you, Paul, in a court of law. Uh, no, I, I'm now, with you. Aldi I, I settled. Mean, yeah, they settled, I think, because of the bad publicity they're getting from it. Actually, what happened was quite the opposite. What happened was, first of all, it obviously didn't go to court. But secondly, M&S came off looking like complete pricks. And Aldi came off looking like, well, you know, 
whatever, we just paid them a settlement fee. And I think they did something on the back of the, the end of that case with like a special edition Cuthbert the Caterpillar or something. Aww. Aldi did well out of it. It was a PR win for Aldi. Because now everybody knows you can get Cuthbert the Caterpillars from Aldi. <laughs> but yeah, so we're talking about this in relation to cars. And so I think copyright would be relevant if you copied the style and, you know, the stylistics of a car to such an extent that... You can't copyright styles. It's just not... You can't do it. But you just said you couldn't have derivative works. Yeah, of, of a bit of literature. Ah, so there is a of, distinction here between between works of art. Yeah. Yeah, I and mean, we couldn't really call the Austin Meister a work of art, could we? <laughs> you could try, I guess. You might try it in court. So you could try anything in court, can't you, really, if it's a civil you case? Try anything, case. yeah, it just may not work. It probably won't work, yeah. Now, important point, Paul. There is more than one movie. Oh yeah, concerning this topic, we need to check that you watched the right one. I watched a 2022 troll on Netflix. Good, good, because there's one from about 2010 called oh. Troll, and there's one that I think came out between those two called Troll Hunter. Right, and I watched neither of those, so worry, worry ye not. That's good. Yeah. This is the Netflix release of Troll. Apparently, Netflix's most popular non-English film. Really? Well, forever or, or this month? Uh, mm, yeah, well, right now, maybe. Oh, Let's okay, say okay. Right now. So who's loving it, the kids? I mean, it must be, mustn't it? I mean... Let's see whether Paul did, shall we? How does it start, Paul? Well, we start with a retrospective on our, 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 our lead lady's early life. She's climbing. We cut to uh, an exciting scene where she's hanging one rope only, with one rope, one, one, one safety rope, up the top of those craggy mountain things in Norway. Uh, and, yeah, she's there with her dad. And she falls and she carries on. She gets to the top. And he says something very opposite about uh, you can only see what you believe. Have to believe in something to see it. Said. <laughs> yes, that's right. Okay. Not seeing is believing. Believing is seeing. He was throwing... He was throwing the saying on its head. She's called Nora. Dad calls her Tiny, charmingly. Yeah. And she's only a little girl at this point. Uh, he's quite, he's quite uh, what's the word, reckless with her safety, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, she does fall and get caught on the rope, which I think would be quite a debilitating condition to find yourself in. Yeah, a snap's mind, you'd imagine. He tells her a story, a sort of folk tale at the top of the peak. These are called the Troll Peaks, by the way. Yeah. And apparently it's because there were 13 trolls at a troll wedding and they lost <laughs> track of time. Sunrise came and the sunlight turned them all to stone. And these mountains are those petrified trolls. So let me get this clear. Trolls typically, before they're petrified, are not made of stone, are they? No, I, well... This is an area of concern I had about this movie to be talked about later, I guess. But... <laughs> In this movie, they are made of stone, yes. But it's a great question. Have you been petrified? <laughs> no, I think... Yeah, okay. You make a good point. If trolls are made of stone in the first place, why do they worry about being turned into stone? Well, the answer is they're not made of stone in the first place, are they? But They look like they're made of... Well, okay. Wait, let's see, get this, into yes, that later. exactly. So there we go. All right, okay. So 20 years after this event, we're on the Atlantic coast of Norway, and Nora is now... Fluent in English. 
Yeah, she's and, and she's a paleontologist. You know. In English, well, I was watching this in dubbed, I guess, or was it? Not oh, sorry, dubbed? I turned on the Norwegian, uh, and yeah, so she's now a very international paleontologist who can speak Norwegian and English interchangeably. Yeah, almost. Well, in- I mean, Norwegians can speak English. They can. The thing I discovered about listening to this in Norwegian compared to the movies we watched that have been in Danish. Have we watched any movies in Danish? I have. I well, don't think so, Paul. Well, no, it's for DBC. I just don't drop my cinema. I have done. Is that Norwegian is much more comprehensible than Danish to an English listener, even though they're almost identical compared to each self, which brings forward that wonderful idea of asymmetric intelligibility between languages. So you can kind of um, understand Norwegian. Oh uh, well, no, with the help of the subtitles, yeah, okay. But Danish, you can just be reading the subtitles and nothing comes through because. The particulars of Danish pronunciation, you know, the vowels yeah, are so yeah, warped, yeah. whereas uh, Norwegian re- retains relatively, can we say, pure vowels. But Do you I'm, hear that, Danish people? Your pronunciation is warped. Sophisticated. Sophisticated. Sophisticated, sorry. Yeah, yeah I mean, they, they've got triphthongs, you know, they've got, we've got double vowel combinations in English. We have quite a lot of com- complex, sophisticated or, you know, mushy vowel system ourselves. Uh, but the Danish really go on go on with, with, with all kinds of sort of triple vowel combinations, yeah. Yeah, trip so, thongs. Trip thongs, yeah. But yeah, where were we? Nora is on the Nora. Atlantic coast of Norway as a paleontologist. She's digging, but the university apparently is withdrawing funding oh, for their no. fruitless expedition. Guess what? Just in time. What did she discover? <laughs> just as, as she's being told this, she comes across, just by digging w- with a shovel, with gay <laughs> abandon, she, she finds the bone of some obviously significant... Dinosaur, we guess. Dinosaur Lizard. bone. I mean, normally, my understanding is when you're looking for fossils, normally they find tiny parts of the animal. You know, they very rarely find more than a few bits of the bone. They have to, like, construct the rest of the animal. That's right, yeah. Put it together with other bits of skeletons from other places before we've got a full idea of what you know, the creature looks like. But here she's just uncovered the entire skull of something. It was. Oh, look, wheat seeds in this fossilized feces. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I get it. You know, uh, dumpster diving is really good fun. <laughs> Maybe even more so because you think your posh neighbours are going to see you doing it. Uh, same for archaeology. There has to be a lot of fun in all that sort of stuff, doesn't there? But it's the weather. The thing about this scene, though, right, is it... It does not matter to the rest of the movie whether or not no. she continues to get funding for <laughs> but she does. university. But it shows that she never gives up. I think that's the key takeaway here. I think that that's, that's, uh. that's explicitly mentioned as a term. Now, we then see a scene where tunnel builders are tunnelling a, a road or rail tunnel or something under a mountain, and there's a load of eco-protesters protesting. Yeah. <laughs> there are rumbles from the mountain. It starts collapsing. Some workers apparently get trapped, probably crushed. Terrible things start happening. And then the Norwegian armed forces are suddenly scrambled. Yeah. Norwegians, of course, have uh, one of the biggest military budgets of any European NATO power, I think. They spend more than anybody else on their military because Norway is very rich thanks to their sovereign wealth fund and the way they invested their oil money. It is very rich indeed, yeah. Uh, it is. They have the most Teslas per head of population in the world, don't they? And their military have got F-35s, the very latest vertical takeoff and landing stealth fighter. That uh, We also have them, but the Norwegians have ordered like 50-odd of them, which is wow. an extraordinary number for considering the size of, uh, of Norway, right? You know, F-35s, I think, I'm right in saying, I believe I've heard, 
the helmets the pilots wear can give them an AR view where you don't see, where they can see through the plane. That's very strange. Yeah, it's like their planes invisible. They can just look around anywhere from the cameras on the plane. Wow. Cool. <laughs> That's freaky. Now we see the Prime Minister's residence in Oslo. Yeah. The Prime Minister is going to be briefed and she's shown footage that seems to show giant footprints at the site of this tunnel thing. This this movie kind of employs various Hollywood movie tropes. The first thing is the command room, you know, the emergency room situation. And the usual thing with the, with the PM or the president, or the PM in this case, does nothing but watch TV all day kind of thing. Uh, so there's all that going on. So she's got her advisors. And who's dragged in there first? She's got a semi-comic sort of helper, hasn't she? I don't know what his name is. Andrew, is it? Andreas, isn't Andreas, it? Andreas, That's yeah. his name. Who's a bit yes minister, isn't he? <laughs> He's the PM advisor who's going to really accompany Nora through the rest of this film. Right. Uh, obviously, Nora's going to be called up. They go and pick her up in a helicopter, don't they? Yeah. So you're needed. We've seen this before in several other disaster movies, haven't we? Of course, in the UK, when there's a major disaster or emergency happening, we have a special system in place, don't we, for the government to take emergency emergency decisions based around the... Uh, I, I, think it's to do with our, I think it's to do, Paul, with our uh, one-time colonisation of India, isn't it? Because now we have... An emergency cobra that the cabinet bring out. <laughs> I knew it. I can, I, think, I, I can smell them a mile off, Richard, by the way. Yeah. I think it's a bit like Nagini in Harry Potter, Voldemort's snake horcrux. I think they must ask the cobra what to do, and it will direct them in some fashion. Very sinister. Nothing quite like that in, uh, in Norway, as we're... This is being depicted. It's just a bunch of advices, isn't it? I'm just saying, if, you know, if this, well, no, if this emergency ever happens in the next couple of years, you know, Rishi Sunak's wife is going to be very confused if it happens when, when they get undressed. So better, isn't she? <laughs> got like a hooded cobra. Who knows what it's The hooded Indian cobra has, uh, you know, been called. Uh, anyway, there we go. I can't help thinking something slightly racist about that, but let's move on quickly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it is, but I don't think it's meant meant with any kind of uh, undue hurt or harm. The videos that they're seeing from the site of the Dovra, I think the place is called. These are all real place names, by the way, in uh, Norway. They're they're trying to explain it in terms of sinkholes and methane pockets. They're really kind of avoiding the obvious footprint. Are we talking here about the, the boardroom meeting, yeah? Yes, yes. Sigrid, who is... An army intelligence officer, I think, is working there near the briefing room. She has hacked one of the processor's cell phones, and she's got one of the videos off it. Now, this is where we see Nora's skills as a paleontologist come into play. Her skill is more than anybody else sat at the desk, is her ability to ask people to pause the video at critical points. And <laughs> yeah. we, we couldn't do this without a paleontologist. And we also see Sigrid, the army intel person. She's obviously a great hacker. We know that. Because she gives the Star Trek V sign. Oh, no. No, but more moreover, <laughs> she's able to somehow put the video that she's hacked onto the screen in the briefing room, 
Whereas normally, you know, it would take someone and People saying, would be fiddling with it. Oh, it's the wrong dongle. <laughs> You've got an HDMI connector. <laughs> Just cast it wirelessly. I can't connect to the meeting. Well, I accept the meeting request. I have done. Well, that's in the wrong room. <laughs> she puts it straight up there with no trouble at all. Yeah, absolutely. She's clearly Definite an IT asset expert. to the Nor- Norwegian, <laughs> Norwegian army. Anyway, Nora says, hey, what's that sound? Well, it's obviously a roaring monster. And they just wait, stop the movie there. And what do we see? A large humanoid creature. Very large. Yeah, a relatively convincing uh, CGI. Yeah. CGI in this film is pretty good. It is good, actually, yeah. Yeah. They did lots of clever things to bring down the cost of it. You know, there's there's lots of thumping in the distance kind of thing and not quite seeing things, etc., etc., etc. So well done on that, on delaying the appearance of the monster until about 40 minutes in. We now see an old couple in a countryside dwelling. We do. And we see a teacup on the table in front of them and the universal now movie language for a big thing walking ever since Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park, I was going to say. You have to see radial waves. Actually, you get P waves and S waves, don't you? They went to huge effort in Jurassic Park to make that cup of water or whatever it was on the dashboard have like radial waves in it, which I don't think is a normal like vibration mode for you shaking a table or whatever. No. They had to put, I think, like... uh, uh, you know, like a a string or a rubber band or something underneath the fake dashboard and like twang it or something to make the vibrations work in that way. So you well, saw like how, a radial effect. When you say radial, what do you mean? Like the teacup warping or bending? No, you see the surface of the water of the fluid around in the cup, the round cup, you know. You see it uh, circular wave patterns on the cup. Yeah. Rather than it just sloshing around backwards and forwards or just sh- shivering, you know, as it might do. Well, I'm not frequency. sure you'd get radial waves, would you? I mean, that's going to be caused by S waves, not by P waves. The P waves would arrive first as a shot wave, which are long, essentially longitudinal waves. I think the S waves are more like your transverse waves that are much slower. In any case, don't move in liquids. Uh, well, I, guess, I don't know. I guess you need it to go up and down to get radial waves, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, and they don't move in liquids. They don't, they don't transfer the solid liquid boundary. Which is how we work out that we've got an inner core. When you take, uh, you know, people that, that uh, look at the Earth's inner core in terms of what it's made up of, they wait for an earthquake and then they've got measuring stations around the Earth. And what you get is shadows and gaps because the P waves, which are essentially shock waves in solids, they will pass through a solid liquid boundary. But when they do, they are refracted and get what's called a directional kink. And because they're coming in and out at different points because of the curvature of the inner core, uh, what that means is that you get a, sh- uh, a gap effect on the other side of the Earth from where the earthquake occurred. You get two prominent gaps of about two thousand kilometers, depending on the size of the core, obviously. And from those size of those gaps, you can you can you can work backwards and work out how big the liquid core is. But what you also get the P waves, uh, which are the uh, tra- transverse waves, is they simply don't go through liquids. They're stopped at the boundary. And so, you know, if you have an event at one point on the Earth's Earth's surface, sort of uh, the waves that go uh, out relatively uh, not towards the centre of the Earth, i.e., you know, kind of spread to either side of where the the event is, they won't go through the core. They will just pass to other points of the Earth without passing through a liquid core. But, uh, you know, the the wave that goes straight down will not reach the other side because it's stopped at the liquid core. And therefore you get what's called a shadow. And the size of that shadow allows you to determine the size of the core also. So, so, yeah. And I thought a P wave was something you got in a urinal when you don't piss on that little plastic mat. <laughs> that little bit of astroturf that they sometimes put in there. 
So, yeah, I'm not sure you will get radio waves, would you? No, I don't think so. But now, thanks to Jurassic Park, if you want to depict anything heavy moving somewhere, you have to put radial waves in into a coffee cup or something. It's just the way you do it. So this is what they did well, is they use these signals to avoid lots of CGI, okay? We don't see the monster as it tramples their house. The couple, though, they go into a shelter beforehand. Yeah. Which is interesting. They've got, like, a little hatch in the kitchen floor. They climb down. And then when everything's quiet, they pop back up. Is that supposed to be like a nuclear shelter? It's Norway like I think it's cold winters and getting snowed in and, you know, having somewhere to store food and that kind of thing. I mean, gun ownership in Finland is 95%, isn't it? You know, so. So they just live different up there. And in Switzerland, I think there were laws about every citizen having a nuclear shelter space. Well, when you live next door to a maniac, it makes sense, doesn't it? Probably redouble their efforts lately. (laughs) As you say, their home has been destroyed. There's a large footprint in front of the house. Nora arrives with a team. Yeah, I mean it's it's a bit more than a, it's a bit more than a UK size twelve, isn't it? Someone is talking about largest primates, and Nora points out that the yeah. biggest one is only ten to thirteen feet high. Thirteen feet high? What? This foot is three times the size of a, high, a house, isn't it? But I'm asking you, Paul. Is are like gorillas thirteen feet tall? No, Bigfoot, obviously. Oh, Bigfoot. Okay, <laughs> I do realize. Yeah. Sorry, I was trying to get I was trying to get rich on a crypto bio, biological path. But Andreas yes. has been assigned to escort Nora, uh, who's now a scientific advisor for this whole new incident, because as you say, she knew when to freeze frame the video. Well done, Nora. And Nora is trying to explain she's explaining how her father's beliefs went a little too far. So we're getting the hint that maybe <coughs> her father had gone a bit off the rails, and then somewhere, yeah. Uh, I mean, essentially, he's gone Grim Brothers to the power of. Stupid, hasn't he? Andreas, meanwhile, is telling her about his idea for a book. Apparently, he's writing a book about a monk. Who I like this. I off. like this movie idea. It's a really good one. <laughs> and he, he throws it at people. And it bites them. <laughs> <laughs> then he then he twists his fingers off and throws them as darts. We, we also meet. We hear. We hear about this uh, novel several times, don't we? Through the course of yeah. the movie, he's very keen on it, Andreas. It's a good idea. I, I generally works as a good idea. We also hear from the the army captain Chris, Chris Holm, I think, who briefed them. He looks a bit like Chris Hemsworth, doesn't he? He does look a bit like Chris Hemsworth. And for a while, I thought this was going to be a kind of romance between Captain Chris and Nora. But then later on in the movie, I realised it was a romance between Captain Chris and Andreas. <laughs> yes. Nora is smelling a smell that she identifies as something she calls hypernature. Yeah. I don't know what that means. I think she means how rain smells when it hasn't rained for a while. Does she mean that? Petricor is the word, isn't Petricor, it? We've yeah. discussed this before. Yeah. She also bends down and uses a UV light to check the footprint. Now, this stems from a common trope we see in movies and CSI-type investigative programs, where you use a UV light to check for bodily secretions, don't they? That's right, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm no expert on forensics or biochemistry, but I thought that the way that worked is you have to spray like a marker chemical. You do. Which binds to the bioproteins. Yes. And itself is UV fluorescing. Precisely. So it's not just you can go around with a UV light and finding <laughs> stuff without that. But it's done everywhere now. However, you know, a 45-foot-long foot that uh, has impacted <laughs> the earth to about six feet deep you would expect some mm. flesh to be hanging off it. Do you know what I mean? You'd expect some sort of callus or something to be to be to be there. Obviously not. So it comes up with nothing. Well, Nora, Nora concludes, having wafted this UV light, that 
There was no flesh here, no biological traces, only earth and stones. Yeah. A phrase Freakier. she'd heard her father use in relation to the trolls. Wow. So she's kind of on a troll tip now, isn't she? She knows what it is. She's, But she dare not really say, because, I mean, she's going to sound stupid, isn't she, saying, I think it's large animated pieces of stone that we call trolls. So she goes to see her dad, and she knows that he'll know. He's a crazy hermit with a shotgun. So yeah, we see him up in the mountains. There's a brief standoff where he comes out in a gun and almost shoots him. She says, Daddy, don't you recognise me? He says, hey, Tiny, it's you. Gosh, have you come to reconcile? She says, no, I'm not here to reconcile. I've come to ask you about trolls, kind of thing. And he tells them about a World War II Nazi tunnel project that was halted, apparently, for the same kind of reason. Nora's a bit uh, impatient with him. Although she's come to him, presumably specifically because he knows about trolls, she says she doesn't want fairy tales, but his expertise. I'm not really sure what she's expecting. (laughs) (laughs) He does mention that because of all of this stuff... He says that Norway has imposed a penalty for contact with trolls right up until the 19th century. I wonder whether that is true. I, I forgot to research that. I have to look up that, yeah. yeah. Perhaps this kind of belief is tolerated or widespread in Norway. Iceland is famous for a widespread belief in elves and what they call, I think, the Hulderfolk or hidden, hidden people. Hidden folk. But strangely, in Iceland now, strong religious beliefs are recognised as being a mental illness. So, there you go. There are surveys that say that more than half of Icelanders believe in elves. Right. But I then went and watched a load of documentaries about this after watching Troll to sort of research this a bit more carefully. I mean, there are these famous stories about roads being diverted around big boulders and rocks, which are purported to be the houses of elves. But this is anime's spirit belief. It's not a real belief in elves, is it? Well, this is it. So one folklorist that was interviewed said, actually, the statistics are more like this. Say 10% of Icelanders don't believe in elves, full stop. About 10% of them really do believe in them. Mm. You know, they think they're real. But about 80% of them wouldn't say that there were no elves, (laughs) which is not to say that they believe in them. In this same uh, documentary, there was an interview with a guy who works for the road ministry, whatever they call it there. And he was explaining how they had indeed found a a rock on the path of the road they were building. And in consultation with the locals and the villagers in the area, they'd arranged to move this boulder out of the way of the road and then carry on building the road. And there was pictures of the, you know, the diggers, JCBs, you know, picking it up and stuff and moving it. All right, so fine. So they'd respected the local animist, you know, elfy beliefs, fine. But then after they talked a bit more around this, they went back to him. They sort of drilled him further, presumably on the same interview that they cut back in. And he said, yeah, I mean, obviously, if we couldn't have moved it, we'd have just blown it up. It's just a rock, you know. And so it's just nice, you know. It's just nice to respect those beliefs. And it, it was a nice thing to do, so he did it. And it, it's like... It struck me that it's like a sort of nationwide keyfabe. Yeah. You know, where everyone kind of knows that they're not real, but they're all never going to say that they're not real. Father Probably Christmas. Because it attracts tourists. It's sort of whimsical, yeah. Yeah. And I was talking with Andrew yesterday about trying to think... I was, I was talking with him about trying to think of things in the UK that are like that, sort of nationwide keyfabe. There is. But people don't really say that they believe it because... Children do. Yeah, kids. Yeah, kids have Father Christmas. They've got the tooth fairy. Sure. But not 
adults, not nationwide, not widespread, not like, you know, 60 to 80% of people, <laughs> except maybe maybe the belief that we are actually going to win the World Cup one day. <laughs> or, nice. <laughs> or the belief that the Tories are competent at handling the economy. Well, I'm about to lay a bet on that one. I think, you know, the next general election is fairly, that outcome is fairly certain. So I hope to be retiring very soon. Yeah, I mean, people often retire on surefire favourite bets, don't they? Well, you know, it's still, you can still get a 15% return on Labour at the moment. I think it's a good bet. I don't see it being much in danger. So there you go. Paul, 15% return is barely above inflation. True, days. actually, yeah, with the Tories in. But it's interesting you should say all that because, like, you talk about animist beliefs in Japan and do they really believe in those god gods in their shrines? Well, no, they don't, you know. The interesting thing is that, I've been reading this recently, is that respective researchers, I don't know their names, they're going back to the, the pantheon of, you know, Roman and Greek gods. And the, what they're saying is, is we, we're coming from a monotheistic perspective looking at god but they really didn't think you know zeus or jupiter was up there on mount olympus it was more a representation of energies and human spirits kind of thing and and, you know getting high perhaps uh and seeing gods you know and i think it's weird that you know in a monotheistic tradition those kind of cultures is that we really see god as being a living human being kind of thing and an actual living thing whereas i think to the ancients their idea of god was just an expression of incredible power that might or might not be manifested in the human realm kind of thing. It wasn't really about necessarily a tangible or intangible supernatural. It was just a, just an expression kind of thing. So, yeah, so I, I think there's an idea that, oh, that was it. Yeah, so like India, you know, the Muslims came to India, the Persians, uh, the Mughal emperors, uh, and then Christians from Britain came to India. Uh, and he's like, oh, you've got a god. Yeah, just add him to the list, you know, because we've got lots of Because <laughs> like in India, people get high. They see, you know, a godly spirit and, you know, they just create, they create that, you know, elephant with, with dancing elephant with, I don't know whatever the elephant is, you know, with a woman's body or whatever. But uh, I, again, that, that, that respectful I analysis of I don't know. cherished but, Indian beliefs. Well, so, well, they've got about 25,000, Richard. So, I'm, you know, I'm, there probably is one like that. But the point is, I don't think Indians necessarily see them as being real gods as such. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, absolutely. And it's an assumption. It's an assumption to, to assume, you know, the ancient Greeks and, and Romans saw God as being gods as being God kind of thing and most evidence which the details of which I'm not parried to but not party to but you know these are respected academics they were saying you know it's likely that they saw it in a much sort of more metaphorical animistic sense than anything else but here we've got real trolls haven't we Richard yeah certainly that's what her dad thinks he's convinced they're real isn't he well he's eating flowers he turns around and then he sees a real troll well she sees it first she sees the eye of the troll it opens behind them in a dramatic way. From the rock face. And yeah. Camouflage beautifully. And the Prime Minister and the emergency briefing room, they see footage from the chopper as they all flee this troll. Yeah, I didn't like the chopper scene where, like, it's obvious the troll could have reached out and grabbed that chopper and just, you know, flung them down like King Kong, but didn't do well, it does later on, Paul. He does. He's learned. He's learning, okay, how to deal with choppers. But uh, I did like this scene... Uh, where the camouflaged troll wakes up and his eye opens. That was lovely. But it wasn't scary like it could have been and it should have been. Because you think of King Kong, when you first saw that first King Kong movie, it's kind of that oh, Don't come up with a King Kong. 
You hate King Kong. King Kong is stupid, isn't it? But listen. it is. But it was scary. It was you know there was real yeah, tension. But in those days, they'd never seen anything like it. If you're talking about the original, anyway. Yeah. Her dad is saying that the trolls died off because of the Christianization of Norway. Yeah. And there's this theme in this film about the troll smelling the blood of the Christian men. Yes. And we'll see that, won't we, as, as it starts eating people later. <laughs> Plot spot. <laughs> yeah. So they whiz off back to Oslo to say, look, there's a real troll. We've just shown you a video of it. And I don't know why they're going back to tell them that, because they can see on the video that it is a real troll. And so there's orders to suppress this in the media. How that's suppressed, I don't know, but it is, effectively. Not by Andreas, uh, who's busy you know, running around Nora's side. And then I'm not really sure what happens. Well, well, at this point, the military go out and they they tag along with Captain Chris as he goes to fight the trolls. Now, luckily, he's got night goggles. Luckily. So he can see it coming. Probably Norwegian army everywhere has night goggles. Yeah. There's a big fight. They start firing tank shells. Norwegians use the German leopard tank, by the way. I, I had to look that up. One of which is crushed and flung asunder by this giant dwarf, uh, not dwarf, troll. <laughs> giant dwarf. Well, Captain Chris, he sees that when this creature gets hit by the shells and stuff, it heals like almost immediately. Well, it's made of granite. What do you expect? And there's a soldier close by saying the Lord's Prayer. Nora's dad, you know, is like, time to stop it. But the troll can clearly smell it. Yeah. And the dad leaps out in front of the troll. He's obviously like a troll whisperer. Has the troll's attention, you know. Yeah, yeah. A rather undisciplined Norwegian soldier uh, in one of the armoured fighting vehicles. Open fires at the unidentified flying object, yeah, as usual. And it, it turns around quickly, and Dad gets tail-whipped. Not intentionally by the troll, oh. who seemed to be responding to his, to his, uh, uh, you know, uh, what's the word? Avuncular approaches. Obviously, Dad is now going to die, but he's still alive. Nora gets to him, and his dying words are something like palace, king, Believe something like that. Yeah, it's a touching moment, but it didn't make me cry or, or make me feel anything. But it might have worked for other people. And they realise around this point that they've seen this troll now in the daylight because when they first were out there and you saw the eye opening, that was in the middle of the day. Yeah, and they're, they're reading some of his her dad's old books and stories now, and they're reading old myths of trolls throwing boulders at churches because they hate the sound of the bell. Which gives Nora a genius <laughs> idea. This is what scientists do, isn't it? They read random things in old scrapbooks and mythologies, and then they base an entire strategic uh, <laughs> policy. Without any empirical <laughs> research. Without any data whatsoever. Without yeah, any preliminary yeah. field studies, you know. Or anything. <laughs> it's just in time as well, because the troll, which I think has been journeying from Dovre down to Oslo, has now reached Lillehammer. Which I think was the site of a Winter Olympics one time, wasn't it? I think we've all experienced this place. Yes! Nowadays, apparently, there's a family park, or a theme park, yeah. in Lillehammer, which looks quite cool, actually. Yeah, and if you come off the roller coaster, you're going to land on soft turf, because it's in the mountains. Interestingly, it's full of carvings and sculptures of trolls, trolls yeah. isn't it? Yeah. There's, a nice, there's a nice humorous shot, yeah, I was going to say, where the real troll appears behind, you know... Uh, a statue of a troll looming over, shadowing over a small kid who doesn't drop an ice cream. It's straight out of Jurassic Park, isn't it? Yeah. Where they end up in the museum with all the bones and the the thing. The only thing missing the there is the dropped ice cream. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's very it's 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 
very, very cookie-cutter in terms of the tropes it uses. Now, the army, with Nora's assistance, has rigged church bells to the bottom of four <laughs> choppers. And they, they appear to be able to travel and swing around and turn circles without without their balance being affected by large swinging bells. Which is strange, because if you ever trained to be a helicopter pilot, you know uh, on your joystick that you can't tilt... It's called a cyclic control lever. Yep. That you, can't, you can't tilt um, more than about five degrees or quickly, because your back rotor will hit your front rotor and you'll explode. But obviously, side-to-side swings and forward-to-back swings of bells are not going to make that helicopter tip up. Wow, Paul, you seem to know a lot about helicopter-related stuff. Well, no, I mean, if you tilt it, what's going to happen is, it's to do with sudden air pressures. It's going to move, uh, I don't know, what's it going to push? It's going to push your top rotors down, isn't it? So they hit, because they're not going to bend at the same speed as they, I think they can hit what, what the tail. The tail, yeah. I think yeah. it's called an empennage, actually. That's right. But yeah. yes, I think that can happen in some uh, in some helicopters. Well, you imagine a huge swinging bell might do that also. Chris asks, I think, he asks Nora, what what will, what will the bells do? Will it explode? I don't know why you would think that. Uh, obviously, she doesn't know because she doesn't know. And uh, meanwhile, it certainly does annoy the troll, these bells. But the media are on this now, and they say the phrase I was waiting for, it's the Norwegian Godzilla. <laughs> so it throws a hut at one chopper. Really good aim. It is good aim, and it hits uh, one chopper into another, and it does that. And now there's a little kid. I wasn't sure whether it was a boy or a girl, actually. But it, it, he's looking up at the uh, the choppers, and the troll, I think, is about to squash him. Is oh, that right? Oh, little thing. Oh, no, no. The, the helicopter nearly crashes on the boy or girl. Yeah. And the troll reaches out and grabs the helicopter just in time to save the little boy or girl. That's right, yeah. So it saved the kid. Does it throw another helicopter at another helicopter as well? Yeah, I think it does. Which is a really good aim. I mean, in terms of the troll size and the distance between these things, that's kind of like me throwing like a tiddlywink and hitting a housefly <laughs> two metres away. I, I Do was, it all the time, Paul. Yeah. Yeah, it was very wipe on, wipe off, this troll's skills, considering it's been asleep for 2,000 years or however long. I think at this point, Nora is off the PM's advisory team. Yeah. Probably because of the bell thing. I don't, I don't yeah. really know why. <laughs> But, for, you know, props to her, you know, attaching large church bells to a helicopter. It's it's innovative, isn't it? Surely. Andreas resigns at this point. Humorously, he tosses his pass, his security pass on the table in front of the Prime Minister, then tries to leave the breathing room and realises he can't, has to run back for it. It's funny. <laughs> Apparently, they're evacuating the whole of Oslo. He's walking out because the army say they're going to nuke this thing. Okay, he's saying, no, we don't need to nuke it. It's a living piece of moss-covered stone. Does not does Norway have nuclear weapons? Well, that's what they're going to do. They're going to nuke it, and that's why he walks out in disgust. Oh, Braver man than It'd be me. difficult if they don't have nukes, though, wouldn't it? They could be bluffing, you know, but I don't know how you communicate that to a troll anyway. Huh. He hasn't seemed to be in the mood for listening so far. Apart well, to, except, except apart to daddy. daddy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't th- I don't think Norway are a nuclear power. In fact, I think they banned nuclear weapons, Norway. Good for but they're going to bomb it. They say they're going to bomb it, Paul. They've oh, got. Okay. They do have, you know, like high tech munitions on all their F thirty fives, don't they? So if only Nora could get through to to whoever and convince them there's a better way to do it. Now she's talking to Andreas, I think, who refers to once working with a guy who works at the royal palace, a guy called Sinding, who's the Chamberlain. 
And that rocks her memory from her dad's notes or something, is that right? He'd been saying palace and king and stuff. So she says, swing a Yui, and they head back. They decide to go and see this, this chamberlain. They go there, and this guy seems to be expecting them to arrive. He leads them down under the royal palaces through these tunnels Whoa. where apparently there had been... <laughs> Apparently, they'd been fighting in the past with the trolls. <laughs> they had killed a load of the troll king's children in order to know, right. goad him or tempt him. Then they led the troll king away and sequestered him under the mountain in Dovra. I think that's the, that's the story right. he tells. Yeah. And under the royal palace are a bunch of troll baby skulls, which are obviously it's huge, but kind they're, of, they're all yeah. there. It's kind of macabre, but there we go. Well, yeah, it's a massacre of troll children. That's right. And Nora discovers that the troll bones dissolve under UV light. And even though they'd seen the troll in daylight, it was cloudy. Ah, so she cloudy. surmises. That's right, ultraviolet doesn't get through UV. clouds. Of course it gets through fucking clouds. <laughs> We've seen him in the day, but not in direct sunlight, she says. Oh, it has to be direct sunlight. Uh, okay. I guess it isn't often direct sunlight in Norway. Probably like here, isn't it? Yeah. They ask... This guy, this Royal Chamberlain guy for a vehicle, and he gives them the Royal Pickup Chevrolet. Which apparently, <laughs> is one of, one of the uh, favourites of the Royal Family. I kind of, I wasn't watching with that much attention at this point. I kind of zoned out here. So, so thanks for that detail, Rich. It's getting fast moving and exciting at this point. She then phones Captain Chris. She's obviously kept his number. Oh, hello, I wonder why. He answers his phone old fashioned style, which by which what I mean is, mushy, he's got mushy. a smartphone. Oh. No, no. He puts it to the side of his head with his ear against it. Whereas these days... Opposed to holding it like a tray. Yeah. Yes, but these days everybody... my mouth tray, everybody. He's... I'm going to put my lips on this mouth <laughs> yeah. tray. What's that all about? Can you explain that, Paul? That's speakerphone, is it? Is it that it? children are not taught how to use phones anymore? That's, that's speakerphone. Like, you don't want it up against your ear on speakerphone because it's going to be too loud, isn't it? Yeah, but when when I answer my phone, it doesn't go on to speakerphone. I have to, if I wanted to do that, I'd have to press the speakerphone button. Does yours? I Paul's don't now know. rebooting. <laughs> I, I I tend to put it on speakerphone, yeah. <laughs> because the volume of my phone is just so crappy. I can't really hear if I put it to my ear. Right. So yeah, I do the I do the lip lip tray thing. So know. I just thought it was interesting. I think Alan Sugar's The Apprentice, it, I mean it really took hold as a signifier to be to being like go getty, didn't it? Having the the phone lip tray kind of way of holding your phone. Yeah, so they do it all the, the time in the back of the car, don't they? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so there's something about it that says Beyonce or something like that. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's a Beyonce move, isn't it, essentially? It's a juge move. It's juging, basically. On the phone, they agree to lead the troll to a place called Eckerberg, where there's some kind of park, big open space. And she's telling Chris all about them needing UV and they need a source for UV. And, of course, Chris is standing in Oslo, He's, he's trying to organise the evacuation of Oslo. And he turns around, and of course, he's standing right next to a tanning salon, isn't he? Wow, clever. We, we get some amazing shots now of Oslo deserted, with trams stopped in the middle of the road, nobody in there. They're really impressive. I wonder how they managed to do that. CGI. Chris has arrived at the Eckerberg area. You think it's CGI? Probably If not. so, it's very impressive. It's very authentic looking. Well, you see, I mean, Oslo's not going to be a very densely populated city, is it? So you can imagine it's quite easy to sort of section off a few streets and close them down for a bit. Oh, come on, it's still a capital city of a, of a modern Western economy, Paul. 
Chris has gone out to Eckerberg where he's in the middle of this field area with his troops. And one of his buddies arrives from another branch of the army. Because I think his friend is a Muslim, Chris promises him if we survive this, he owes him a Pepsi and a Toblerone. <laughs> oh. Yeah, uh, which, oh. yeah. Why bother deal, surviving? Right? <laughs> I mean, if you're a Muslim, you're going you're gonna to get a, a, a harem of, uh, of beautiful virgins, aren't you? If you don't survive, so... But, Paul, it's too late. Oh. They've already ordered the attack by the F-35s. Oh, no. Yeah. The bombs are already virtually on their way. The, oh, the planes are dear. in the air. I almost feel sorry for the large piece of rock called Patrol. But then, the hacker, Sigrid, she hacks the F-35 so it can't fire. Because they're all fly-by-wire. Yeah, that was believable, wasn't it? Very believable. So, I mean, she's already on the inside. But, I mean, if they can do all of the control of the F-35 from the ground, why would they put pilots in? I don't know. Just, just do them like drones. Yeah, that was a bit silly when she stopped the uh, airplanes. But there we go. Well done. I wonder if she's a troll, because hackers usually are trolls, aren't they? <laughs> well, I see what you're saying. Now, Nora and Andreas have got a baby troll skull on the back of their royal pickup Yeah, truck. to goad him or what? What's all that about? To a, yeah, to tempt him, to attract him. Uh... Because apparently he values the skull of his dead child. I see. They're driving through the streets of Oslo, leading the troll behind them now. <laughs> he gets a skull, doesn't he, at some point, and then he holds it up and he sees himself in uh, the reflection of a glass, a sort of high-rise office huh. uh, building. And for some reason he taps on the window and smashes smashes the window, frightens himself with this, the crashing glass and drops a skull and then throws a wobbler because the because skull the skull smashes, of course, when disintegrates. It drops it. Yeah, on the floor. Now Nora is telling Chris that they're only a few minutes out, and Chris is saying we're not really ready yet. And so, in this time critical situation where it's very important they get all these tanning beds correctly positioned, <laughs> she just changes the ETA by five minutes or whatever, doesn't she? He decides that the best thing he can do with his time is give a rousing speech <laughs> to the troops. He does give a rousing speech. Yeah, he gathers them all together. Oh, I mean, that—that's five minutes of organisation in itself, isn't it? Sigrid, the hacker, gets discovered. Someone looks over her shoulder and says, "What are you doing?" They don't arrest her, <laughs> so she's able to hang around for the rest of the. Because she said she got an email from a Nigerian prince. <laughs> When the um, guy who found her gets annoying, she actually punches him later, a little bit later in the briefing room. Oh, Everyone's happy about it because I don't think any of them like him. But I, I did wonder what she was doing there. Right, the troll is hot on their heels. He turns up at the hill where they got the lasers ready or the tanning, tanning lights ready and they start tanning it, don't they? And it starts fizzing slowly and it's grumbling and it's obviously hurting. It's quelling the troll, yes. But Nora feels pity now yeah. for what she realises is the lonely troll king. Oh! She runs over. Turns the tanning lights off. She turns the switches off. And she tries to persuade the troll to leave. But just as she does that... Guess what happens? Dawn, surprisingly, arrives. <laughs> A very bright one, too. <laughs> as if no one had thought to check. Very quickly, also. And the troll crumbles. Crumbles. Yeah. Falls down. And there's a mid credit scene, though. This is the end now. We've, that's that's the film over. But in, in the credits, we see back in the Dover Tunnel... Ah, the stirrings something of something else. Yeah. Now, it could be the female troll, which is called a Giger, which was introduced by a father as like a or troll slut. 
Yeah, or something like that. A troll, a troll hole. Or something like that. He just referred to women in, in derogatory way. I don't know why exactly. But there we go. So that could be that could be episode or, or, or the sequel two to this one. Wow, yeah. I have a friend who's got size 17 feet, wears a large leather jacket, has a big nose like this. And is a troll online. <laughs> Do you know? And when we were in Hong Kong, okay, we were, we were shopping and trying to change money. And it was, it was New Year. And the New Year dancers were coming around, which is people with you know dressed up as those lion, those lion or dragon, dragon things. You know, two or three people. But there's people around them banging drums oh, yeah. and ringing bells, and he couldn't stand the bells. He freaked out actually. So, so maybe all this is true. Oh. Maybe he's actually a troll. Maybe he's a baby troll. Yeah, yeah. So Richard, yeah, hmm, all over with. Uh, just for me, the idea. Okay, I understand trolls are not stone; that they're petrified into stone. When they wake up, they're going to turn back into trolls, or they're going to remain as inanimate stone. You know, I can't really imagine a system of stone bone joints and muscles that allow them to move as they did. So there we go. My biggest problem is moving. So your objection is the scientific one. <laughs> well, just I, I couldn't imagine. Well, if they're petrified, they're petrified. Yeah. They're petrified because oh. they can't move. So, Amen. so if they're petrified and they can move, what's the point of petrifying them? Sure. I don't, I, I don't agree. get that. The reason they're put to sleep is because they've been turned to stone. Yeah, their soul has. It doesn't make slept. a lick of sense. It doesn't make a lick of sense. If you're going to unweight them, then they're they're going to stop being stone, aren't they? So that was deeply unsatisfying. Hacking an F thirty five, just just beyond silly, isn't it? Really. Yeah, the whole kind of the plot armor, plot armor of this backstory of well the. It's always going to be assault on a major city, isn't it? Ah, so you know the kids' bones were buried in, in this under this hill in Oslo. Just a bit poodle wootle, wasn't it? Really, those three points. But I focus on the negative first. There were lots of good things about this movie. It's a Norwegian kaiju movie, is what it is. It is, yeah, yeah. Is it not? It is. It is a Norwegian kaiju movie. It's a lot of fun, you know. Uh, just as these, you know, Japanese kaiju movies, they're not meant to be taken as serious films are they although they are serious there's meant to be an element of energy and almost hysteria to them that's supposed to be viscerally enjoyable all the mythology here you know i just really couldn't accept it but i guess if you're norwegian you can do is what i'm saying well there's also a message about environmentalism and respecting nature although i'm not sure i'm not environmentally i'm not really sure what the problem is with drilling through a mountain they did say, shall we get Greta down at some point? That's they? not a big deal, is it? Is it a big deal? Disturbing disturbing habitats, bat habitats maybe. Newt habitats. What, what bat habitats? Well, bats live in caves, don't they? What, in the mountain? That's where caves usually are, Richard, yeah. But, no, but you're drilling through solid rock in the mountain, aren't you? you? Are. That's the whole point about Absolutely. a tunnel. Yeah. You're not drilling through caves. I know. Yeah. Um, so, there's something about that. There's also something about, I guess, humility and not, Respecting the beliefs that were already there, or something like that. I don't. I don't know. Respecting crazy people who talk about trolls because they might be right. <laughs> I think, though, if you're a Norwegian film director, there must be some law that you have to, at some stage, make a film about a troll. <laughs> As I mentioned at the start, there were three movies that I know of that are sort of troll related. And they're all Norwegian. From, all Norwegian. Whoa. Troll Hunter. I th- I've seen Troll Hunter. Yeah. That's a much more found footagey right. one, and I quite I quite like that one. I really enjoyed. Was it made of stone? That troll? No, no. I don't think they're made of stone. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. I don't think so. Uh, the other troll movie, the, the other movie called Troll, which starred Alicia Vikander, who is the Norwegian. I think she's a Norwegian actress. Interestingly, 
she was also in the Lara Croft kind of remake. I think it was in 2019. Yeah. Directed by a director called Raw Uthaug. And I think that was the guy who directed Troll. This Troll, 2022. There are connections everywhere, Paul. It all comes back. Well, it's a small country, isn't it? So you imagine the film industry is pretty, pretty nepotistic. Well, yeah, but uh, the Tomb Raider was sort of more of a Hollywood number, wasn't it? But yeah, I'm kind of tempted. It's only a short movie, though, the Alicia Vikander one. But it's, it is highly rated. Maybe worth having a look at it. I guess we have to get down to scores, Richard. What do you think of this movie, All Told? Well, should we do acting? Yeah, yeah. Acting, I thought, was actually relatively okay. A little hackneyed, a little hammy. All to do with the Hollywood script, I think. I'm going to score it at 6.5 for acting. What do you think, Rich? The lead, who's played by Inna Marie Willman, I think. Yeah. She was good. I, I enjoyed her. I thought the guy playing Andreas, Kim Falk, I think... He was a bit over the top. I didn't buy him very much. Right. Her dad was a little bit broad brushstroked as well, wasn't he? But he was supposed to be crazy, so maybe we can allow it. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go overall. I'm going to give it a six. The plot really for me was the letdown here. Uh, I didn't really like those plot holes. I didn't like the excessive plot armor of, you know, this troll attacking a major city because its kids were buried there. No, four and a half. Sorry. Oh, I mean, it's just trying to do kaiju, you know, Hollywood movie style, isn't it? Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll give it a six for, uh, for its efforts. There's nothing amazing here. Okay, what about SFX, CGI in particular? I thought it was impressive. It's used sensitively and appropriately. I'm quickly going to score it a 7.5. Yeah, good, actually. Uh, the only thing is, I don't think it's a fault of the SFX, really. It's more of a fault of the art design. I just don't find the troll particularly scary. You know, he's like no. he's like a giant Sabden treacle miner, isn't he? He's like a <laughs> he's, like, he's like a garden gnome. You know, he's got a bulbous nose, as like you say. He's like a little dwarf, but huge. Yeah, he's like, you know, but huge. Yeah, like a giant dwarf. You know, he's not menacing. He's kind of cute, uh, yeah. but dumb. So you know, the effects are good, and it all it it seems to sit in the Norwegian landscape, which is also beautiful in this film, mm. really well. So I'll give it a seven. Full category. I mean, did you want to go thrill or did you want to go atmosphere? Well, atmosphere. I think it has to be atmosphere, doesn't it? Yeah, beautiful shots of Norway. Uh, I think we were saying Betty Blue was like the perfect advert for France. This, you know, great advert for Norway, uh, just the beauty of everything up there. Did it really, did I really get to feel that mythology, you know, that sense of how trolls were part of the landscape, which I guess is what they're trying to say here. No, I didn't on that score. So I'm going to score it another 7.5. It's like breathing fresh air for one hour, 41 minutes, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I, th- I thought it was pretty good for our uh, mood. There is a, like, a folklore element and this idea of Christianity supplanting the pagan beliefs. I, I don't know how that relates to it smelling the blood of, English, of uh, Christian men uh, and eating them, but uh, there we are. It's a tasty in some way. I'll give it a seven for mood. Seven for mood. And for an overall score, finally, then, Paul. Well, uh, I'm looking at my top, top, totting up my total here. It's quite impressive. I'm going to go down a bit and say 6.5. I think that's fair. Mm. I think that's fair. It's a kind of 6.5, isn't it? Yeah. It, this is It's perfectly competent. I'm going to avoid giving it a 0.5 and I'll, I'll just say seven. I think, I think it's enjoyable. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a definite watch. I think anything above five in my scoring is something I'd recommend spending time doing. Okay, but it might not be everybody's cup of tea. It, it, it isn't really pitched to adults, is it? It's kind of like a family film. And so as such, the scares are rather lame. It's like those little roller coasters that you go on with your kids at, at theme parks. You know, the kids might enjoy it, but... like, Oh, Paul, as you are known to do... the. The little roller coasters you go on at theme parks on your own. Well, look, I mean, look, I, I I don't think it's embarrassing to like roller coasters beyond the age of twenty five. It's not embarrassing to like roller coasters. It might be embarrassing to go on the Alice in Wonderland roller coaster. <laughs> no, but it's a mouse, isn't it? Really, it's a very slow speed mouse. It's a wild mouse, essentially, isn't it? Alice in Wonderland. Well, speaking of roller coasters, Paul, what roller the wild coaster mouse have you has got disappeared off Blackpool week? Pleasure Beach, by the way. So, yeah, yeah, I did go on Alice in Wonderland. And you call me childish, Richard, for enjoying it. I, I don't think I did. You did. But I'm happy to. In not so many to. words. Maybe more words, actually, as your, as your <laughs> verbose habits would indicate. What have I got what next? Roller coaster. What roller coaster yeah. have we got? Lined <laughs> up for next week. Look, okay. I'm going to give you a choice of High Rise oh. and Never Let Me Go. Oh. I think we discussed both these- of these earlier. On previous yeah, podcasts. these are very arty movies, I feel. Mm. But given the two of them, uh, I think I'm going to choose the, the one by the the Japanese-British author... Kazuo Ushiguro. Which is Never Let Me Go. Oh, the artier one. Okay, you've gone you've gone down the path of Ian McEwan then. Well done. Great. Okay, well, it's a great novel. i yet to see what the movie's about. Okay, I imagine the same topic as the novel, but somewhat condensed. So, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Never Let Me Go will be episode 22 of the fabulous drive by cinema. All right, thank you for listening once again, and until the next time. Have a very happy new year.